0: And now back to Lifeline.
1: All right, we're back the time. Five six oh five rather on this Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Love to have you chime in on our conversation. We're really working through where we are politically and the destabilization processes of our country, which are the consequence of a lot of internal conflict politically, ideologically. Um, that have actually had their their rudiments in so many different structures in our nation. And now we are really facing the fruition of what I would consider uh, anti-American and certainly anti-biblical uh, ideology that now is becoming forceful for a lot of reasons that I'll share before we close out on the program. But one line open, one Let me first go to Sean from Redlands Online. Sean, are you there? Hey Pastor Jesse, I'm here. Great, great, great. What's your thought about our questions?
2: Um, I I think we're we're definitely heading towards a civil war. Um unless things were to drastically turn around, I think we're definitely heading that way.
1: Okay, so so um, first of all, uh work with me because you put a caveat there. Um, I, mm-hmm. I know I'm putting kind of information out there that often people Don't think about it. I could have actually cultivated it, but I just kind of wanted to put it out there. See, because we haven't had a civil war in hundreds of years, and we don't really know much about civil war relative to to the ongoings of conflicts around the world and in different countries, which we don't always get a lot of information about, to actually instruct us in the harbingers of a civil war. But I'm putting it out there because I really actually think, Sean, that a lot of people do not believe that we are closer to a civil war than uh than uh than factually is which is one of the precursors to an actual civil war virtually no one ever believed that our civil war was going to be a civil war until the hostilities reached a certain level of incredulity and then it became uh, unavoidable And this is true of almost every civil war. It was true even of Christ's day. When Christ said, when you see here wars and rumors of wars, he wasn't talking about down the road. He was talking about in Jerusalem. He was talking about the uprisings and insurrections and the conflicts in Judaism, as I'm teaching in the book of Revelation, uh, that that was going to end up uh, reaping the consequences of the Roman Empire coming down and smashing on them. They did not believe it. And therefore, only those who heard Christ were able to escape that judgment. And uh, that cycle continues to that to today. But go ahead on with the rest of your thought on that, because you said if if things could change, uh, like what? yeah. Yeah, certainly. I
2: mean, I think, um, I mean, first it would have to be the Lord granting our nation repentance and uh, granting uh, revival in in the churches and the preaching of the gospel. Um, That's absolutely essential. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Um, But I think when you, even if you're not like learned on how how our previous civil war took place, Right. Just looking at it from a biblical perspective, I mean, when you look at how you're tempted and then because you're drawn away by your lusts and your desires, those desires give birth to sin, and that sin turns to death. You, it it yeah. ends up in death, and it's the idea like a young child has to grow up to a certain level to go into war. It talks yeah. about that in the Old Testament, how there, there's a certain age where you you're, you're, you can go into war. and so you, 20 you years in, old? And absolutely. And so— It's been like the incubation period for this Marxism in the schools, in in our education system, and the lust and the desire of the left or these Marxist folks is ultimately death. Like that's what they want, and that's what it will lead to, Um, and that's the idea of war. It always ends in death. And, And so I think right now, especially in our current, Information age with social media you're seeing the troops rounded up on both sides. I mean, I personally yep. stay off of social media, but you can yeah, see the too. split in these major tech companies and 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 now the formation of new like quote unquote like conservative social media outlets where we're in the middle of an information war, right. and that's almost like the rounding up of the troops because ultimately an information war will turn into a physical war. It's like hatred in the heart will ultimately manifest into actual physical murder, because what is hidden will be revealed. What's secret will be exposed. That's what it's hidden for. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think we're, we're, unless the Lord were to turn us around um, by His powerful grace, mm-hmm. the, 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 the lust and hatred in the hearts of people are going to manifest into
1: actual physical conflict. In a masters, i'm gonna give i am i'm gonna give yeah. you another scenario though i think that what's going on is if you've been have you been keeping up with my friday studies yes sir all right so you understand you understand the fundamentals of the hegelian dialectic right you do you got that yeah Okay, theses, antithesis, leading to a consensus or a synthesis. So you got to have competing parties. That, Hegel was the master teacher of Marx, Engels, and so many other people who believed in the inevitability of progression through conflict and turmoil and the inevitability of revolution and war to turn over nations. That's what they believed in. And those axiomatic factors will occur with the exception, as you have stated, and this is why I operate out of that, out of the plantation, you know, pump cart system, that whenever God wants to, he can intervene. That's That caveat you gave is the only hope of the believer. But apart from that caveat, Uh, If God allows in his own judgment to discipline America with another civil war, this is inevitable. It's just a matter of time before, as you quoted James chapter one, the unleashing of the birth of the death hunger, the death, death striving, the death longing, the lust to kill uh, will take place, and we will be right back at Cain and Abel again, and the divisions in the nation of Israel, to northern tribe, to southern tribe, all because of sin and idolatry and covetousness and lust and things of that nature. And if we don't have the conversation on this level, uh, what, I, what I despise about fundamentally uh, isolated political talk, uh, Sean, is that nobody's talking about sin. You, you know that's my argument in dealing with this whole Marxist thing. This is all about identity politics and, and horizontal narratives. And nobody's talking about sin because once God comes into the equation, all of sin becomes short of the glory of God and, and really need to move into a place of repentance before there is, you know, holocaustic types of judgment. But this is what I do want to say about the importance of the free market, because if, if we were in uh, communist China now or in Russia— uh, the conversation that we are having, uh, even you and I right now on the radio, would be monitored extensively and then there would probably be some kind of clipping or cutting off of access for us to have a free market discussion with Freedom of Ideas because they would want to slant that information in a positive way to, uh, to government. That's the nature of the Marxist system. The solution for them is the state is going to run everything, and that's what people don't understand on the part of the left, that their su- solution is untenable. But what I will say is what I see as exacerbating the conflict is national radio. That is your right-wing radio talk shows, talking at your left-wing radio talk shows, and them never ever coming into a context of uh, central public forum debate. Now, see, when you operate out of those two hostile extremes, as uh, Nelson was saying, the goal is not uh, if you will, some kind of meeting of the minds and compromise. The goal is to win one side or the other. And unfortunately, when I listen to 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 the right, particularly the powerful, uh, prominent voice of Fox News, this is where Nelson is not real, real clear on me. I hear them, I hear them basically talking about you know get on our team because you know we're we are right because we're the right. And not actually being able to uh, think about all the people who are not on their team, who are looking at it from a much more objective standpoint, who are be much more critical in their analysis of both parties. And then the people on the left are doing fundamentally the same thing, although they are playing into a massive Marxist playbook strategy and those two extremes are what is producing the fundamental radicals that are taking place on both sides, and I'm sure you agree with that, but on the internet, where there is a whole other world of discussion, this is why I can I can you know dish out to you guys certain websites, certain YouTube events, certain uh, conversations, certain dialogues that actually depict a much more democratic process of interaction uh, between people who hold different views. Uh, I really think the internet is the only place where we can among all the crazy stuff, have uh, people who are rational enough to be able to talk about what's important to get past this kind of stuff. So I'm hoping that that doesn't go away because if it's just left up to uh, national talk radio, then yeah, uh, it's going to resolve itself into a civil war in a couple of years. What say ye before I let you go? I oh, don't no. I
2: absolutely agree. Um, Fox, uh, of the, they have a lot of good things to say, but they're they're susceptible and subject to the same dialectic as the left. And
1: right, right. Uh, and can and, you hear and, them, uh, Sean? Uh, kind of often talking in a kind of good old boy. Fashion. You know what I mean? Kind of rather, rather dismissive, and I, I've been listening to them for many, many decades. And I and I and I say that they're not using the kind of framework of dialogue, in my opinion, that opens the door for a healthy debate, so that uh, ideas can be tested in the realm of formal debate, argumentation, analysis, rebuttal, deconstruction, and all that kind of stuff. And when that doesn't happen, you know, they're not the way they talk. Simply put, it does not cause a person on the left by virtue of the way they talk to want to join their team. That's going to have to come from somebody that operates from a more objective standpoint to help people on the left mm-hmm. see where their problems are while also affirming the problems on the right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they'll they'll even... Um They'll even use some of the le- the left's argumentation to support their views when it's been politically. Exactly, um, I've seen There's them no... do that. I saw um, Hannity do it. One, one thing I know you got. I got to go. One one more thing, Pastor. Um, that really opened my eyes. This happened earlier this year, early uh, middle of last year. Hannity he, he he'll tote his Bible, I... and prayer and all these all this stuff. But one thing that opened my eyes, he said it was um, during the primaries i think the the one billionaire guy from new york that was trying to run for the democratic
1: right um right i know who you're uh, talking about his uh, well, name will come up DeFazio. So, DeFazio or something uh,
3: yeah, no yeah, i know no, who you're no, talking no. about uh,
2: so so anyway um he they there was a point a period of time about two weeks where the left and the right were both hammering this guy because they didn't want him to buy the election by the 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 position so what hannity did is he fox pulled an old quote that this guy said from about seven years ago saying he doesn't want men using women's bathrooms and he was talking about transgender people and so hannity said that this man hated women and he quoted that in order to smear him but the woman that he's saying this man hates is this a transgendered man?
4: So, so he'll
2: throw his Bible out to trash a political opponent in a heartbeat if it looks good for the, for the and 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 it's little subtle things like that on Fox that you can find that, that happen. Um, and the left is just all out like, in your face with it.
1: Right. You know, but, now, remember what I said yeah. when I taught you guys on the first Friday night when I dealt with the impotency of the uh, loud right? Do you remember what I was saying about the impotency of the loud yeah. right? Is that they are not at all truly biblical Christians? Mm hmm. And what I was stating was is that they are collapsing into the dialectic of embracing homosexuality and transgenderism as well. Uh, Hannity has stated several times using the term, uh, you know, homophobic. He's homophobic. He's homophobic. Well, that's a left. That's a leftist tactic. So what I recognize in the in the party on the right is because they don't really have an authentically gospel-centered approach. They're collapsing into the cultural transformation too. They need the homosexual. They need the transvestite. They won't overtly say the transvestite, sorry, transgender right now because that is the next... Uh, theater of conflict, but they are definitely wide open to the homosexual community because they need that constituency to get over uh, in this tight race that's about to occur uh, this time around. So uh, the uh, Republican Party is going to be the centrist party that opens its door to uh, anti-biblical, moral, and ethical principles as well. And this is what a lot of Christians don't get. Listen, thanks for the call, man. Way overdue. Mm -hmm. Three lines open, one Three, two, nine. three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Adrian from Hayward, you hold on. I'll get you in a moment. And now back to Lifeline. Okay, we're back. At the time six twenty eight on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We've got two lines open. If you want to join us, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Granted, our topic is somewhat um, uh, extreme, alarming. Are we headed towards civil war? But I really do want you to think that through, because where we are and the way our our nation is handling the present uh, confrontation of demands and expectations. Is, is alarming, uh, you know, it's alarming, it's very alarming, and we want to know exactly why that would be the case. Why could people rise up? Why could people mandate uh, policy changes, the, the getting rid of, of statutes and, and all sorts of things, and, 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 and our governments capitulate? What's going on on the inside of our consciousness that's leading to that same type of um, a uh, sort of capitulation on the part of our, our government, our leaders, and things of that nature. Now, you can get that answer if you want to follow us on our Friday study, because we're laying it out. But the answer is somewhat daunting, if you, if you, if I, if you want me to be honest with you. Uh, for the citizenry to be able to just rise up and demand changes without a kind of due process by which those changes can be evaluated as to their overall benefit, uh, that that definitely moves us into a more fascist state and uh, a democracy without a set of tools by which we can talk things through uh, in a much more uh, civilized way really is preparing for uh, conflict, quite frankly, because everybody doesn't agree with me and everyone doesn't agree with you. And, uh, you know, you might get your way with 50% of the people, but that means the other 50% disagree with you. And if you push hard enough, you'll, you'll see that, uh, you can provoke them to, uh, to react in ways that might not be anticipated. Let's go to line number three and talk with Adrian from Hayward. Adrian, are you there?
3: Hey, what's going on, chief? It's actually Idris, but it's, it's all good.
1: Oh, Idris. Cool. What's going on, man?
3: Yeah, yeah man. So, uh, uh, great, 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 um, uh topic and i have to agree you know i used to be um democratic um you know, like four or five years ago but i just that because i was told to do that i didn't really look too much into it i looked at the tv like what i saw been living in california and then i got saved like two years ago and i started really starting seeing things and policy and legislation and i graduated from cal state east bay and i remember back then just seeing the certain type of teachings that in my mind i was like wait hold on they're kind of forcing this on us But I never said nothing because I was just trying to pass class. Sure. But now that I see it all manifesting, um, my problem is the left has completely, like, you look at them like, I I can't deal with that. But the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy, and and not just with them, even in the church, of a lot of things where we're saying one thing and we're living another thing and displaying another, and this new generation has seen that. And that's where they're getting the fuel from. We want to shut it all down, which is not the right way to go. But that's how the enemy loves to twist everything. And he's playing on both sides. Clearly, he's got the left in his pocket. But the right, it's like I come to the right thinking, okay, it's all good. And then I start seeing things like, whoa, 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 I'm getting convicted like that. That ain't right, you know. And it's it's like when it comes back to the whole sin thing, it's like it's almost inevitable that we're going to clash because when God judges, you know, he's not just going to say, no, 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 no. You, the ones who believe in me, I'm going to hold you to a higher standard. The pagans right. are going to do what they do. So, right. like, as a, as, a, as a follower of Christ, when you say, so what are you going to do? Because my friend, I'm just going to be independent. I'm going to be like, no, it don't work that way. It don't work. Right. You. you can't just say you're not going to do nothing because it's going to affect you somehow, some way, when you find out you can't go to church no more. Or you're sending your kids to school, and they're saying you can't call them he's or she's, or just whatever they're doing. You know, you can't say you don't want to play until it's at your doorstep, so you have to do something. So I'm kind of leaning on this: do I pick the lesser of both evils, or like do I just fast, or what's really going on? And I really, and I'm gonna start jumping on your Friday night um studies. You know, I'm I'm in Hayward, I go to Faith Fellowship, but I'm gonna start following you because you you talk about stuff that we need to talk about, but. I'm, it, it, it's happening right now. I can't even tell some of my friends right now that I'm leaning towards conservative because I just start talking about certain stuff, and they just get triggered like, huh, what, what, what? And I realize, oh, it's going to be real. Jesus warned me about this. To whom love, you're going to be persecuted, whether you like it or not. You cannot stand on what's true and not expect people to come at you because everybody's feeding off of their pain and their truth, which has been heavily manipulated, so everybody thinks they're right.
1: listen here man you are you are preparing you are just about prepared idris to be a soldier uh in the in the rhetorical and narrative war of truth you're just about there i wish you had been uh following my studies on friday for the last month or so because you would be furnished with information and data that will allow you to actually um more accurately address and identify some of the pillars of this delusion that is taking place in our culture. I mean, you got the framework. I want to let you know that now you got the framework for it. If you can go back to our last couple of studies where I start dealing with uh, the will. political is- political issues, particularly, and then catch up with the videos, please catch up with the videos that I refer to. And in fact. If you had a pen and paper, I would let you, I would give you my email address so that I could actually expedite material you. I do. I do. I for do. You.
3: Please speak. I got to.
1: Okay. It's lowercase gbc. It's Grace Bible Church. So it's gbchayward at huh? gmail.com.
3: At gmail.com. Perfect.
1: Yeah, because I would I want to uh, help my brothers and sisters actually overcome the naivete. There's a lot of there's a not, lot of ignorance in our churches um, because we have not been doing what we should be doing relative to not only sound biblical proclamation but understanding our culture, understanding our surroundings. And you have already identified some of it it's the distraction of hypocrisy. It's a lot of traditionalism that um, does not know how to actually speak into the hearts of our post-millennials and Gen Xs. It just doesn't do that. They're not hearing that because of a lot of problems that they've seen in in decades past, and we have not uh, actually been able to address it well. So there's been a gradual, silent divide in the churches, not only in terms of ethnicity, you know that, but also yeah. in terms of a generation gap between the old school and the new school and the young people are feeling very much like the uh, Christian church does not have a salient answer to what's really going on. And, I, you know, it sounds like you're ready for that kind of battle. So catch up with me on those studies and then get back with me, not only on email, but also um, You know, on the Friday studies, because Monday, Monday Lifeline, because I'm trying I've been doing this, man, for like 12 or 15 years, talking to my community about the deeper issues. And and uh, quite frankly, I don't most of our churches have either collapsed into a their head in the sand mentality, like, you know, it's not as bad as it looks. uh, It's going to be okay. All we need to do is keep praying. And then right. the other part of the church is already diaprax. What we mean by diaprax is they're given over to leftist policies. Whenever our churches look like the world and sound like the world, it's because it is the world. Whenever you have a community mm-hmm. of professing believers adopting all of the policies of the left, it's a dead apostate church. And there's no mm-hmm. other way around that terminology because this is a no-holes-bar war. The enemy wants church folk as well as non-church folk because he loves to, to paint a false picture of what the kingdom of God looks like and that's what he's doing right now. So yeah, man, your your senses are well. What you heard in, in college up there was a fascist driver that basically alarmed you because it came off almost uh, as a kind of threat, a kind of propagandist threat. And that's the way they are operating in colleges and even in businesses now. So the next level, this is what I'm trying to tell our people, Idris, the next level is going to be so much more in your face because they will have all of the major structures in between the common people on the ground and our governors and our, our congressmen in between them are your business uh, institutions, your the ma- major corporations. The companies that basically drive our economy are 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 largely Marxist as well. So quite naturally, they're going to support the kind of revolution that's taking place in our world. Quite naturally, and like you said, and this is such a salient point that I'm just I'm I'm, I'm committed to proclaiming the Christian must understand that his job is not to be on the plantation pump cart. Uh, of left or right because it's all going in one direction anyway both the blue and the red is going in one direction and that is basically a godless system it's just that the blue is going a lot faster than the red and we don't want to admit it but uh you you'll understand that language once you watch some of our teachings on the last three friday nights and when you do man get back at me i'll send that information over to you as soon as you uh email me Absolutely, man. God bless you, sir. Keep You too, you brother. Want. Blessings. All right, let me see here. Okay, I've got some time. Let's go to line number one and talk with Ken. Ken from San Jose. Ken, are you there?
4: I'm here, yeah, Pastor Gustin. So um, I think, you know, yes, somebody brought up what God's view would be. And certainly it's, it's, it's got to be the truth about things. And um, I'd want to disagree with one point about that Nelson brought up. About 1968, I'm old enough to remember it, and this is a lot worse than 68 was because number one, the left is a lot more powerful, and number two, there's an ongoing plan with things. Which it was at 1968 was a series of disparate explosions, uh, summoned the cities, but also college campuses. But there was no real coherent plan, and elderly, they lost uh, politically anyway. But this time, uh, it's a lot. It seems to me it's a lot more organized.
1: Do you know what that organization is, Kim? Because I was very much conscious at that time, even though I was young, and I'm very much aware of the difference between the – the uh, civil rights movement in the days of Martin Luther King and where we are today. Let's have a conversation for the next seven minutes about that, because I I argue that there is a radical distinction between Martin Luther King's uh, civil rights movement and the present movement today. I do agree with most to understand the uh, bi- biographical uh, composite of Martin Luther King. He was a he was a soft Marxist. He, there's no doubt about that he was a soft Marxist, but because he also bought into uh, a Gandhian philosophy of of um, of, of uh, success through peace, he was never, ever for a moment willing to sacrifice his community at bloodshed level where we would take up arms and go to war against our government. He knew that that would not work, that that is not the goal. And, uh, and 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 yet today that's totally different quite frankly but what would you say are uh, the 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 substantial differences between that generation and now because i believe i know i'd love to hear it from you well just um a
4: gradual build up f- fueled by um billionaires like soros of the left i mean in in the 60s it was really um a small minority, overall, of people who believe that way, but now it's got a lot more credence. Also, like you pointed out, with all the institutions, the media and the corporations, it's amazing how they've gone that way because uh, it doesn't seem—it seems contrary to, uh, especially with the corporations, to their natural, will be their natural inclination. But I guess they're going along with it politically.
1: Okay, so you you probably are not aware of the particulars behind this, and and so I'll just share it with you. I'm not, just not to play you down, your your intuitions are absolutely uh, pristine, Ken. But yeah, you yeah. have to know that um, ever since the French Revolution, with Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, they have developed a fundamental strategy of Marxism that has actually uh, incipiently rooted itself in every country around the world. Um, uh, since the French revolution, it was one of the fundamental failures of the Bolshevik revolution, but it has left its marks in all of our countries. It entered into America, uh, early on in the, uh, in the educational department with John Dewey, uh, uh, you know, vying for a separation between, uh, church and state relative to uh, a biblical uh, text being part of a mandated curriculum in the school systems. And so Marxism has been in our, uh, in our uh, business for hundreds of years. It just never, ever took any kind of accelerated rate until uh, after the, the, uh, the civil rights movement. But it was really the foundation for a lot of the militant underground uh, uh, of, uh, revolutionary uh, groups uh, during the days of Angela Davis and during the times of uh, of uh, the Black Panther Party. Your black liberation theology or liberation theology that basically prevailed in a lot of the Latino uh, uh, conflicts around the world were the the, the the vestiges and framework of Marxist philosophy, but once we got kind of calmed down and, and the civil rights movement uh, made some some corrections around uh, integration and uh, uh, jim crow and and black people started experiencing a little bit more material uh, success uh, in the colleges. they fiercely continued the agenda of a godless Marxist Uh, socialist, utopian uh, objective, which meant uh, systematically uh, abandoning any kind of vestige of a biblical worldview. The adoption of, uh, of Darwinian evolution, because Darwin was also a Hegelian dialectical student, Uh, uh, really did become the forceful scientific playbook which many uh, biblical scientists or even just really uh, logical scientists knows that Darwin was so far off in his understanding of biology as well as history but it still played up as if the science that he had was actually scientific. And so what we've had for our colleges for many decades now is a godless education and this is the most important thing: a uh, ideological subversion of immorality and uh, ungodliness relative to the created order, relative to the creation of mankind, the imago Dei in human beings, relative to sexual morals, relative to moral uh, absolutes that are universal in nature. Fundamentally, Marxism is a call for a neo-Canaanite culture. And its fruits have been with us for decades. It's just now remarkable that they are starting to be legislated in by our judges and by our politicians. And this is the thing that I'm saying. This is not new. It's been incremental. And there are only a few stages left before um, our whole society in terms of the major pillars, business, education, uh, and politics, and the church, before we basically have to simply say, you know what, you win, uh, we're, we're, we're all now under a Marxist-Socialist system of godless paganism. This is the brink upon which we are presently at. I'll give you the last word before we take a break.
4: Nobody's talking about is the economy, which I think was, you know, the, the coronavirus is convenient in that it Sheila, the actual uh, enormous debt buildup that to almost led to a depression, they've still propped up the stock market, but I don't think that can be continued much longer.
1: I agree. We are on the brink of a collapse of that, but we've been talking about that, too, for decades. This is part of the, the strong delusion of both the rep, uh, left and the right, you cannot have inflation at the levels that we're having without it crashing again at some point, so yeah, nature has played a role in what either exacerbating this uh, this this drive towards a civil unrest or retarding it. There's a little bit of both going on in in my estimation of things it's at least allowing us to stand back and be a little bit more reflective because we don't have much else to do. Uh, But right now, pray and be extremely sober and really begin to learn. Uh, If you want a a little bit more of a critical analysis of what's going on, catch up with us on our Friday Bible study live stream, Ken, uh, Grace Bible Church, grace-bible.com, because I'm actually dealing with these political issues from a biblical standpoint, trying to warn people of the deeper entrails of this ideological subversion. Because at the point in which this beast raises his head fully, it's going to be too late. There will be no conversation. Uh, Marxism knows how revolutions work. It knows when to actually pull the trigger. It made too many mistakes in the Russian Revolution. Uh, it made too many mistakes in the, uh, uh, re- uh, the um the the Hitler movement and it made too many mistakes in the French mistakes in the French Revolution as well. It really wants to topple America because America has had at its foundation a Judeo Christian ethic that has allowed men and women to be real believers for a long time. That is on the brink of ending. Listen, man, thanks for the call. I got to take another hard break. But there are three lines open if y'all want to talk, one 367 5329 one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time, 6.50 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's see here. Let's go to Jay from Pleasant Hill online too. Jay, are you there? Yeah, hey, Pastor. God bless you. You too, bro. What's going on? What's your thoughts about our topic tonight?
0: Okay, I'm going to either sound naive or I have lost a clue, uh, which is kind of both. Uh, I moved okay. out from Camden, New Jersey area in the late 60s to the East Bay with my family. And uh, to put it bluntly, in the 70s and early 80s, I loved the East Bay and, and San Francisco because it was a melting pot to me. Uh, I got it. I couldn't wait to go out to Lake Tamascal and meet with the Latinos having barbecues, the African-Americans, the whole bit. I'm white, yeah. but whatever, I'm just saying uh i had no problem with that i used to work in oakland some of the worst parts building fences and so forth for the company that had just was the way it was right and then not that i heard a badge or nothing anyway real quick became a therapist uh, for the last 30 years i've been working as a therapist i'm retired now just a couple years in my business was in some of the worst parts of oakland uh tenderloin hunters point east palo alto uh, down by Hagenberger the whole bit, and I never had a problem. People treated me wonderfully. They actually walked out my car, uh, had gang members get me into people's apartments because uh, you wouldn't get in otherwise, and so forth. Anyway, where did I go wrong when what I fear is the younger people will not let you say, you really don't care about race. You care about people. Uh, we have a sin problem. You need Christ. We are actually all brothers and sisters. If you believe in Adam and Eve, it's all incestuous, not to be silly, but we're all brothers and sisters. If we're all from Adam and Eve, you really are my brother, black, white, whatever. But what I get concerned with, this is where I'm either naive or I've lost something, is as a Caucasian man with the history I've had, not that adds anything other than the beauty of the life I've led and the people I've met and helped, is that I'm not allowed to tell somebody I don't care about your race without them flicking it back at me. And that makes me nervous just because I really don't care. I care about your sin nature. I care about, excuse me, I care about you going to heaven. That really is what it is. It's not because it's some privilege or nothing. Have I lost something, man?
1: Or am I bad? Yeah, yeah, you did. No, you lost something. and I'm going to share with you what it is. I'm, I'm glad you okay. po- posed that. And I would encourage you right along with the thousands of people that are listening to go to my website grace-bible.com and catch up with our live streams because there's a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters that don't understand this battle at all. I knew this was the case. I knew this was the case. I knew that we were not learning the importance of um, subversion, that we were not aware of Uh, the processes of change that have been occurring since the 60s. All right, so I'm going to just kind of fast forward to one element that you are naive about, that all of the young people from Gen Xers all the way through the millennials, all the way through the Gen Ys and Zs have been diet-fed, a spoon-fed diet of Marxist, neo-Marxist, cultural, uh, revolutionary terminology. And at the heart of this particular debate J is the issue of race, and if you want to learn about it in terms of my argument against the fallacy of uh race uh, uh, narratives uh, again, I just did that teaching on Friday. Uh, On our website, so it's there to be found at grace-bible.com. Our live stream, we take up this subject uh, personally. Right now, on the part of the left, particularly your Black Lives Matter groups, but this expands to the whole of the race-bait argument and education that our churches have been taught, not our churches, but our schools have been taught, our colleges have been taught for the last two to three decades. In their system, their argument is this. Racism is a systemic problem in our country that doesn't have anything to do with people. It has to do with the structure base. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Of your white, heterosexual, uh, male, uh, hierarchical power structure, including Christianity, which was the premise upon which this hierarchical patriarchal structure is established and has been governed ever since the days of slavery. What the young people are being told to say to you and anyone else that's ignorant of their narrative and terminology is that if you are not explicitly anti-racist against the man, against the white man, against the heteronormative ideological system that basically has governed this country since its inception, then you are part of it. This is a fascist approach that's coming from them which came from their teachers which came from their scholars which came from their socialist Marxist system they have taken up this new narrative because they have a foothold into our country because of violence because of crime because of certain inequities that are legitimately there but they're taking this and wedging the door wide open by not allowing a dialogue not allowing debate That means you can't be accepted of them unless you take an anti-racist position. You can't be neutral, and listen very carefully to me. For any of you Christians out there that think you can win the battle with the neo-Marxist revolutionary around using the Bible and calling each other brothers and, and saying Jesus is the way, for them, your Bible is part of the problem. Christianity is a major impediment to their goal. Jesus is a white, blue-eyed, long-haired, hippie, heterosexual individual who must go. He must come down with all of the historic hierarchical structure, structure of the patriarchal heterosexual male. And if you are black, as am I, and am a Christian, then they consider me white. Because, see, this was never about the ontological factors of our race. This was all about an ideological dichotomy set up in order to create a narrative that makes the uh, parties of African-Americans over against the party of Caucasians to enter into a direct conflict. This is why you see Caucasian people collapsing all over the place, bowing down and worshiping and saying, I'm sorry, and, and capitulating, because this is your Marxist dialectical process the proletariat is rising up and the bourgeoisie is falling down and they who are listening to me say this are loving what I'm saying on one hand because they see their vision coming to pass but on the other hand they don't particularly care that I know this narrative nor anyone else who understands what I'm talking about this goes all the way up to the presidency this goes all the way up to Obama this goes all the way up to Trump these conflicting narratives are going to be the grounds upon the next battle. We are really dealing with a biblical worldview being destroyed and a Marxist worldview of godlessness and humanism taking over. These are the factors. It's not going to be reversed unless we are able to have a forum where these things can be debated and people's views can be exposed for being in conflict with both reality and with God. Until then, they're not going to hear you. And I'm sorry, particularly if you're Caucasian, they're not going to hear you because you are the embodiment of sin. For them, this is not individual sin. This is collective sin on the part of our Caucasian brothers. It's a sad reality. It's a strong delusion. It's a lie that people are buying into on both sides. Guess we're going just have to pray. Until next time, God bless